Hello, this is Daryl War for March 2024, the retrospective for Episode 4 in the Pit of Ultimate Dark Shadows. I have decided to maintain the early episodes because I never did them good justice in explaining everything in 2017. And, as said in my last retrospective, way at the end, I've been having medical issues that I'm not going to divulge, but I don't know if I'm going to improve. I don't know if they're going to get better. And that being the possible case, what do I want to spend the last of my slight ability doing what I love, which is narrative discussion for the Pit of Ultimate Dark Shadows, as well as building more, but I can't build anymore because of things that I can't really explain. So the other possibility is that the chunk that I'm going through between 4 and 14 I already did a pretty good job of 12, 13, and 14 years ago, so I'd probably just go over the reviews that I didn't really go over much of after 11, I guess. But either way, this is when it did me the most good, when I was building it in 2013. Strangely enough, this one, and number four, was built in 2012, and it always blows me away because I thought it was later. I was could have sworn it was 2013, but I guess I was playing all that Tetris and watching all that Ghost of Mrs. Mirror on YouTube in 2012 and had my epiphanies thinking about it on my walks to and from the bus to work and finally realized, switch the paintings. And that's when the catapult and the, the plunge it just took hold of me with the Ghost of Mrs. Muir. So there's the potential that I might get worse in health. And so that's a good reason to continue. The other potential is that focusing on the component that solved the other problems that I was having back then might help. Who knows? So I have decided to stick with the other reason is also well you know i have enough discussion for 20 bark at the moon and 21 up the damn staircase i think that was the title so then i would, I would go make retrospectives for 20 and 21 and then mix myself up bouncing back to four you know because i'd be waiting for 22 and 23 it's like that kind of thing that's a, you know just bouncing back and forth it was making me get cross-eyed and so those are the uh disturbing and or uplifting reasons to just keep going with uh, the early episodes in retrospective and it'd be nice to go through the reviews the narrative discussion the commentary and uh, what it all was about and my personal thoughts about it so let's get to it episode four was called captain greg gets bent and it wasn't meant to be any i don't even remember what get bent means in the naughty zone i remember i originally called it captain Greg gets bent out of frame because it was about his picture getting messed up. So it was going to be Captain Greg gets bent. And then I thought, well, maybe we should clean it up and say out of frame or at least say out of frame in parentheses. So it, it originally was Captain Greg gets bent out of frame. And then it was like, oh, Captain Greg gets bent. Because that also means getting irritated, that kind of thing. Boy, I was re-listening to even the intro and I was just so riveted back in 2013 to just get started again on all this. And, and when I first got going with the Ghost of Mrs. Mirror and realized that I had something and that I, so much was getting fixed with the Ghost of Mrs. Mirror TV show that I would just play that theme song. It's like the first time in my, my life that theme songs really just gave me a lot of energy. It's just so silly, and when I was able to get around a lot better, they still could. My faith in this thing is just so strong for so long. And, uh, yeah, episode four 
is like a jet ski filled with lit fireworks and crashing into the bottom of Widow's Hill for a dazzling display of colorful attributes. I was so surprised at myself because thinking about that sentence, it was so fast to build, which, I mean, I used to have, I used to really take a long time thinking about that kind of thing but it just took a little time for me to actually think about how exciting can I make it as well as making it kind of a Collinwood theme and that kind of thing so wow yeah again original script posted to fanfiction.net on 16 December 2012 which still just blows my mind but of course podcast was created and uploaded November of 2013 so yeah I was really getting going when I got started on this thing just to get it going and I'm still tripping because I think all the voices you know because a lot of times later episodes I'd really I'd turn on a show just to really get an act, uh, actor or character's voice down as best that I could later on just to try to make things better and better whereas I think all of episode four I was just kind of doing it the best as I could without that and I'm sort of tripping on all my old caricatures and thoughts and what I did Tony Peterson I think was the best just because uh, he was just so like, oh, blah, 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 you know, so it's nice. And I could just tell that I was easygoing. And, and I can tell so many people have commented, like, I love your enthusiasm and how much fun you're having with this. And, oh, that is what I want to get back to real bad. So let's see if I can have any fun just doing this uh, retrospective here. But yeah, I just, I was so inspired because I've told Ghost of Mrs. Muir fans this on certain, you know, like the... Well, we used to have the Yahoo group and also, uh, I think on the Facebook page, which I gotta say, that was the best part of Facebook. That was the best group was the Ghost of Mrs. Muir. Because you'd be, I'd log in and it'd be so rankling and you have all these notifications of nothing. And then you'd get like interrupted with a piece of serenity because somebody decided to post a sailboat just floating by and it's like it just suddenly it would just break the irascibility of what stupid facebook is it's like yeah it was the best group page that i remember just suddenly you have this sense of calm because there's a ghost of mrs Muir post that's just flashed in front of you yeah that's where i want to be i don't want to go to any other group page i just want to be on the ghost of mrs Muir group page and then it was crazy too because i remember telling caramia you know autumn archer she goes by something else now but i called her caramia back in the day because i got her into the ghost of mrs Muir because i was trying to get that image set up with the right font and stuff and yeah i just uh that's what she saw it uh, and I think if you remember the um, intro to 15 with Autumn Archer, boy, that was something else too. And yeah, oh gosh. That, and I told other people too. It's like when I found that Facebook group for the Ghost of Mrs. Mirror, I'm just like, it felt like everybody was so weary and tired and just 12 people holding the torch for this show. Just wipe it out. <laughs> just like, you're just getting wiped out, holding the torch, just this little group. And then, you know, over the next few years, it was like catapulting higher and higher in members. And it was like 30, 50, 80, 120, 200. It was like just so weird to watch that happen. Just getting, oh, but it was nice to see too and when i said my farewell because i was trying to get detached from commercial social media somebody said something nice of like you know fare thee well and may you always have no no storms on your voyage and stuff something like that it was just really there was just a sense of good camaraderie although there has been there has been turmoil there has been problems i'm sure and whew, and i've probably been a big one i've been a part of that 
myself, you know, not just somebody grousing because of some story they don't like, but I've definitely uh, put holes in the sails and all that. And, but I really did want to. And then thinking about it, actually, why don't we go to, was it at the end? Shouldn't be here then. I need to pause. Yeah, but I remember getting that theme song and, uh, boy, that just got me catapulted to work so many days. I just wanted to hear that thing and it's so weird because it's just a TV theme song, you know, right? But yeah, it sure did because I just, well, I'd gotten into the story as a whole and just saw all this potential and possibility. And yeah, once upon a time, I was a snooty 20-year-old where I, uh, on an, I think it was all gothic fashion, I'd made a friend kind of in my neighborhood, my old neighborhood. And she brought me over to watch two classic movies for like a sleepover and uh, tuna melts. She made tuna melts and it was like a sleepover. She wanted to do a classic double feature and it was The Uninvited and The Ghost of Mrs. Muir. And uh, so that was the first time I really watched the movie. Yeah, it was it was a trip. And so, of course, being, I don't know if anybody remembers late 80s, early 90s type of attitude for teens and 20-year-olds, but just the movie's never ever as good as the book and just that kind of snooty attitude. And so anytime I noticed that there was a TV show for The Ghost of Mrs. Miriam, well, that's got to be a lot worse, obviously, you know, especially if there's any kind of canned laughter at all. So yeah, I just did not give it a chance, but I'm glad that I held out because I feel like I needed the Ghost of Mrs. Muir to help me solve this problem, and then I was gung-ho, just all about that. Yeah, you could tell that too when I finally got a chance to find the book and read it. I'd gotten away from all the turmoil, I'd gotten away from a lot of the social media racket, most of it, and I finally read the book and just, I was so just like, yeah, I wouldn't say it's better, it's just different. It's just, all of it's good. All of it's good. And then that, you know, led to things that inspired what I had. It's like, yeah, it just, that was one doozy of a story. It was just incredible. Yeah, and that, that, uh, Miles character in the book. Yeah, he did not hold even the, e not even the evil charm of George Sanders' performance. Not at all. It was, uh, that was a wretched character. Oh my gosh. And Captain Greg made his point, and uh, Mrs. Muir agreed that he was probably right, and he just kept on kicking himself for having foisted the guy into her direction. And But, you know, she was like, well, I probably did me some good. I learned my lesson. But, yeah. And I don't know if they, they kind of did the similar things. I can't remember who the dude was, but they kind of did similar things with the TV show. With I don't remember. It was Miles Fairly Blaine, but it was there was some other guy that it was like, well, hmm. But, uh, I remember whoever it was, whatever episode it was, it was kind of a character who got more annoyed Mrs. Muir than anything else. And, yeah, I, uh, was having these troubles with maintaining Carolyn uh, Stoddard and Tony Peterson's relationship on Dark Shadows, so, well, let's get them going on a date. Where could they go? Schooner Bay? Why not? I was just devising all this stuff, and then the purpose was to have the painting still get scourged by Sam Evans, but have something interrupt that so by the time that the messed up Angelique reached him to put a curse on him, he's out of control. Like, he's like, I don't have it, so you can't really get on my case about messing with it anymore because it's out of my hands. I don't know where it went. Then I thought, well, so how do we switch Captain Greg's painting with the Dorian Gray stuff that Sam Evans is doing on the Angelique painting? 
and figure it out and then just finally in multiple walks to work just thinking about it and trying to figure it out and it's like yeah switch them so what do you do okay so how about candy and jonathan and the ghost of mrs mirror tv show are playing around and kids play around with food in their hands so yeah some like hot dog could be in somebody's hand i don't know what how it would work or it could be syrup or something like and condiments get on the portrait of captain daniel Gregg. well you've got to fix that and i could definitely see mrs muir had just him hollering at her and her psyche and all that just madam you've got to get something done you know and it's weird because i can't remember if i think in the tv show he did think that the portrait was good whereas in the book he really was like well it was done it was kind of a half-arse job and doesn't exactly look like me and a lot of the book when i think about it because that's been like the more recent exposure i've had to the ghost of mrs muir as a whole is the book so so yeah the book's been sticking to my head yeah you definitely to put it on the screen you have to have somebody kind of handsome and attractive to attract people to the screen but if it's just this disembodied voice floating around all the time that's not really going to get people to watch a movie you're better off with a radio drama or a book or a, an audio book that's my preference of course Whew. so uh comment that i got from the ghost to mrs muir facet of the pit of ultimate dark shadows should have well it did in the long run but it took a while for me to really digest over and over it just kept making me feel so good that i didn't think about all of the everything kind of embedded in between the lines from up easterner february 11th 2014 each reviewer has a right to his slash her opinion i'd like to add mine none of us writing fanfic own the characters or the original stories we should stop criticizing others whose views differ from those of middle-aged women i'm 55 our stories predominate these sites fanfic is ever evolving i welcome this story as fresh air now we should stop criticizing so where was anyone criticizing me i did not see it back then especially from ghost of mrs mirror fans so that basically implies that there had been some criticism in a sort of private message format of some kind like who is this sterile war blah 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 and also there were likely people who enjoy dark shadows as well as the ghost of mrs mirror like someone from episode one you know who was she had been saying that i'm glad you like josette most in fandom don't which i have perceived i think very well as no that's just the loud people who have these dominance issues or just have these weird issues with barnabas collins so there's obviously some overlap between dark shadows and ghost of mrs mirror over the decades just for the sake that it was around the same time period you don't really see a whole lot of Bewitch fans and Dark Shadows fans going crazy at each other or having much of a l overlap, but it would make sense to have a little of that as well. It's just that Bewitch is quite a bit cheesier. It wasn't really a soap opera. <laughs> Ghost of Mrs. Mirror could get pretty serious sometimes, as long as you kind of took Claymore out of the equation. There had probably been some overlap as far as fan fiction was going, and people's feelings of things they grew up with, or what they had in some form of youth. So that was kind of telling me there was probably overlap of people escaping Dark Shadows with the Ghost of Mrs. Mirror. You know, as much as they love both, but yeah... So I had a response review, and I did try to talk to Up Easterner. I remember really enjoying her profile at fanfiction.net, and I, there was like a salon article, and I remember going to that and reading what it was and how important that having a difficult upbringing, what these shows would mean to somebody. So 
same day, I responded, and I thank you most devotedly for voicing that opinion. Yay, a Ghost of Mrs. Mirror review again. I do have Greg get rather dramatic in episode 12. If anyone is curious, I hope you'll enjoy that. As for opinions, I know it's not a Ghost of Mrs. Muir subject, but I did a few curtain fall stories for Barnabas and Company elsewhere. While I had this month-long cold, I got the knee-jerk reaction of Julia Hoffman only being his friend and a review about how impossible, unquote, that was. Thankfully, that made me analyze the whole thing, and I managed some notes about this and fanfiction writing in general that really cracked the nut. From what I've read across the web, I think anyone who thought differently of their relationship basically got bullied to only allow themselves to use visual media to express themselves instead. And that's how it was back then. It really was. As I'm putting in my eighth intro, I've been through the ringer with bullies and I will not tolerate that kind of behavior in this first world problem. So any other pairing with Barnabas, I welcome and endorse. As for this story, well, it may be a long way down the road that I could create a Mrs. Greg out of Mrs. Muir if you would like i just need some information on how to work it out happy face so yeah and uh that's what uh, went down when i presented the story and it really was more insightful than i thought at the time i remember those that differ from those of middle-aged women and she's saying i'm 55 to basically say i'm in that category yeah it's just been such a strange set of variables and circumstances and stuff so uh, i hope that you didn't have to deal with anything crazy like that coming just from what i was creating where it's like you know i'm so much younger i did not grow up with these shows i'm a rerun kid i'm not a rerun adult rerun adults don't quite believe they're ever gonna see what they saw for the first time again and then after a while there's reruns and <laughs> And then restorations. I remember talking to Lisa on the phone months ago about this, where it was instead of, it's like, it's as good as it was when I first saw it. Well, in this case, it might be better, in better condition than it was when you first saw it. They've just done so many things with film and TV and just everything. So yeah, I uh, wish there was some way I could heal the fandoms as opposed to just these fictional characters' lives. And so I wish I could fix my own problems, of course. But uh, for the time being, yeah, I was just so ready to go on this one. But for the episode, here Tony and Carolyn Stoddard's romance grows as they head out to Schooner Bay and being in such good spirits, help out a lady who looks quite worried and so Mrs. Muir ought to be. Sometimes Captain Greg has little patience, so I figured he was just being a bug in her ear constantly about his painting getting messed up by the kids and just going rattling on just as, how could you let that happen, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, she's going to go to Nori's Lobster House just to, you know, try to get out of the house and just see if she can settle down her problems and stop having the cap- ghost of Captain Greg wipe her out with the complaining about, you know, this thing that happened with the kids getting food or something on the painting the episode replays the damaging of angelique's portrait by sam evans but the difference is sam evans become ang- becomes angry when he sees it beginning to remember something tragic from other realms he once knew so this is where it starts getting into sam having flashbacks from uh, the 1790s as andre dupre As the painting is about to be scorched, Cassandra meets with Barnabas, as in the original. However, Wadsworth is down in the cellar, singing his heart out and bringing an added tension to this scene. On Dark Shadows, when Barnabas is told that the painting is missing by Cassandra, he says, How fortunate. Which was obviously poor Jonathan Frid trying to correct this flub, and then giving up on it. 
I decided in my version to let Barnabas have that flub, in all confidence, and dispense with the need to correct it. Roger and Elizabeth wonder over Victoria as well. Still reading the Carnegie book, Barnabas slipped into his reach. Roger is beginning to calm down, think clear, but still have the lovable, sarcastic charm we know and adore. And this is also the one, I don't know if it was part of me rewriting it a little bit and like changing things, but this is the one where, and it kind of makes sense that because the first three were sort of skipping through various things that already happened just to catch you up with what's going on. It's like, there's all these little prerequisites where it's like, okay, this happened, that happened, the seance, blah, blah, blah. And also just letting the gate crashers begin to accumulate, such as Wadsworth mainly. Whereas this episode four was where it really took off the pit of Ultimate Dark Shadows, finally just took off for its own adventure. And the Ghost of Mrs. Muir kickstarted that adventure for sure. And there is uh, Milligan... Good evening, welcome once again to the Pit of Ultimate Darkness, or rather, as we like to say backstage, the Pit of Ultimate Dark Shadows. And I'm your host, Sir Simon Milligan, hoots and hollers from the audience, and he feels like, okay, people are finally paying attention to me. Tonight, we enter the encapsulated subconscious of the human mind. Or, wait, oh, oh, wait a minute, perhaps not. Didn't the dream curse come and go? I must look into this skull as a fortune teller does her crystal ball. And I remember there was like a skull on his desk in the kids in the hall at one point. And so then I have, you know, the voice that a lot of us know from the telephone being left off the hook too long. If you'd like to make a call, please hang up and try again. If you feel you've reached this recording in error, hang up and then dial your operator. And Milligan, who's actually trying to scry and do a little kind of fortune telling or something. Well, that got me nowhere. I must now call my ha- upon my handy, well-beloved of Satan and trusty sidekick, manservant Hecubus. Rousing cheers. Good evening, master. I am here to serve you and Santa. Sounds of crickets. Say what? Whoops. Just a bit of metathesis here. Pardon me. And that's when, like, parts of the word metathesis, like when parts of the word, like, interpose, such as spaghetti and paschetti. So that's metathesis. So he says, or he's trying to say, say Satan as he says Santa. So, yeah, so he calls it metathesis and it kind of burps it out like it's something that, you know, it's kind of caught in his vocal cords and needs just a little unblocking or like some bacterial funk or whatever. Milligan's wondering if the dream curse has come and gone and our call and support radio drama and Hecuba says, I believe it has, Master. In fact, I believe we are wafting into the realms of art. Art who? Meaning Arthur somebody or other? And it's like, no, Master, art is in drawing, painting, the visual arts is in the picture of Dorian Gray. And because Dark Shadows is based on so many old books, Hecubus, you're giving away where we've ripped off our plot lines. And Hecubus snickers, and he calls him evil, still evil after all these years, and then ladies and gentlemen, Hecubus the evil one, and everybody applauds. Now on with the show, we need a volunteer. You! Now this is also ripping off from Kids in the Hall. There was a skit with the Pit of Ultimate Darkness, which it was in the Kids in the Hall, of... There was another Mark McKinney character kind of in the audience of the Pit of Ultimate Darkness. And they say, you, and he's like, me? And it was somebody, and his name was Tony Henderson. And I'm all, this is too darn perfect. Like, we'll just switch out Tony Henderson with the name Peterson. I mean, it's just so darn close. It was just too weird, like the whole thing. And do you dare come to the Pit of Darkness, asked Milligan. Random male voice, yeah, sure, why not? Business is slow. So it's not Tony Henderson. This is Tony Peterson, obviously. Rise and approach and steps... What is your name? My name is Tony Peterson. Haha, ha, we've made you say it. Hecubus goes on. Just because there's all the my name is Victoria Winters and in the movie there was like my name is Barnabas Collins, blah blah blah. And it's just started being becoming a running gag. And so at the Pit of Ultimate Dark Shadows, Hecubus starts making a tally of every time somebody says my name is and then their name. 
So that was just a recurring gag that I came up with along the way, that it was something that Hecubus would just tally with every episode. It's like, how many people have said my name is so far? Milligan tells him, Tony Peterson, I'm about to rob you of your free will. Does this frighten you? And Tony says, hardly. Milligan's shocked. What? And Tony says, I've had that done on a number of occasions recently. A woman with a lighter, and it's my lighter. It's like, he's like, yeah, it was his lighter that Cassandra took to, like, get Dart doing hypnosis on him. Kept staring at me in the garden and possessing my thoughts. If it's all the same to you, I'd rather you didn't. It's been seriously irritating. And Milligan, crestfallen, oh, well then, Chipper. Then how about I reassert your free will? Sounds good to me, says Tony. You are a gumshoe prominent lawyer of Collinsport with all your free will intact. Hecubus, you are what he said. And then Tony is like, are you going to hypnotize me first? And Milligan says, we just did. Um, Hecubus, please entrance him with the sleep of ages. What's that for, Tony asks. Hecubus, just a little validation like having your parking ticket stamped. Oh, okay, he says. Hecubus, repeat after me. B, B, O, O, Pro, Pro, Blem. And then... So, faster, B-O, B-O problem. So it's like, faster and page it overhead. So this is going back to ripping off The Simpsons. And I asked my husband, can you go through, like, your books or whatever and find me some heckles from Moe's Bar or whatever? <laughs> so that's where the B-O problem came from and kind of going down the same sort of juvenile uh, humor. So yeah, I was like, oh, listen to this. I was like, hey, man, even the heckler I did pretty good. He sure do. You know what? I'm out of date. I'm leaving, meaning he has B.O., but it's like, no, you know, the heckler's saying he's got B.O. And Hecubus says, do so freely. In fact, I'm sure you pee freely, which is also just some random juvenile humor and heckler and it starts just laughing and milligan and now we return you to Colin sport in which we join tony peterson and carolyn stoddard on their date already in progress and uh, dark shadows theme music sound of car motor background music of the standard blue whale variety and then i put parentheses santo and johnny because that's what it was and tony's like saying to Carolyn, I'm glad you accepted my invitation to a long drive and dinner. I've been dying to get away from Collinsport for ages. And Carolyn admits, oh, me too, Tony. What's the name of this place we're going? Nori's Lobster House, says Tony. Quiet, quaint, a far cry from our usual spots at home. No, I remember Nori's, but where's the restaurant? What, the city it's in? And Tony's like, oh my, not a city at all, not even a town. It's a township called Scooter Bay. And I was looking that up and it was hard to find a proper definition, but it seemed like a township is somewhere in between like a town and a village. That's what it just seems like. It's like just somewhere in between. That's like what a township actually is. And Carolyn Stoddard says, Schooner Bay sounds familiar. I think I have a great aunt that lives there because there is some sort of Skullmar Mrs. Stoddard on the show. And I have been meaning to try and see if there's any potential familiarity, like family, something or other that could be. (coughs) I sneezed. But uh, I was never able to conjure it. And of course, with the uh, difficulties there are between Dark Shadows and the Ghost of Mrs. Mirror as far as uh, fandom goes, or whatever you want to call it, I was hoping that maybe I could bridge that gap. But I guess that's a gap that I can't bridge. So I have to figure out like more about whatever the, whoever the Mrs. Stoddard is in the Ghost of Mrs. Mirror. Or if she's Ms. Stoddard or whatever, you know, whoever she is. And Tony was wondering if he, his connection could figure out whether there is familial connection between the Stoddard of Scooter Bay and the Stoddard of Collinsport. I always imagined it's like that the Stoddard, if there was a connection, she'd be like, oh god, that Paul. He was always just the guy that, whether a nephew or a cousin or whatever, just like, oh, I just couldn't deal with him. Ah. But that's that's just sort of little thoughts in my head over the years. And, uh... 
Yeah. And then, meanwhile, Barnabas, having spoken with Professor Stoke over a slice of cheese and a totally unsweetened biscuit, decides the portrait of Angelique that Roger continues to covet throughout all this time is to be captured from Collinwood and vandalized with a certain complexity. And Hecubus giggles. Yes, Hecubus, thanks for sacrificing my shrine hostage to this torment, because... Milligan used to have the painting, and then Roger got it, and then it's, like, all over the place. Now we have to suffer seeing it constantly changing hands. However, I suppose it's an integral part of the story. This is indeed the painting Roger has become enamored with during his oh-so-brief marriage to Cassandra. Both our lovely Angelique and Cassandra, as we all know, are the same person. Barnabas believes this picture is the key to Cassandra's resurrection. And then we're with Wadsworth and Barnabas in this next scene. And Wadsworth says, Here you are, sir. It is a fairly simple absconding, and most deservedly, I'm sure. You are nothing if not a wonder, Wadsworth. The most terrifying beauty lies herein as I look at her. Agreed, sir. Some dark entity does lurk at the features of this specimen, says Wadsworth. Of course we know why, sir. Barnabas says, Tell me, how did you manage it? Wadsworth says, Well, there is a usual exchange of delivery items betwixt here and Collinwood. I transfer the dairy to Mrs. Johnson, and she hands over the eggs. So we have have a daily interaction that way. You see, the delivery men are afraid to brave the wilds of the estate, so we arrange this solution to the dilemma. And Barnabas says, truly, it makes the telephone seem obsolete. Which I think is more influence from as time goes by, because there was something in there where Jean's character, Judy Dench's character, said it makes email seem obsolete, so I was like, oh, I'd have to rearrange that for this situation, so makes the telephone seem obsolete. Wadsworth then, call me not a wonder, sir. It is the wonders of Providence. However, while I was there, I wandered about to Mr. Roger Collins' study where the portrait was hanging above the desk, and there he found me. Oh my, was he acerbic? asked Barnabas. Somewhat, says Wadsworth, but then he was most appreciative as I was able to relocate a volume of Dale Carnegie's he seemed to continually misplace. And then Barnabas smilingly, oh yes, how to stop worrying and start living. The very one, sir, how did you know? I lent it to him, actually. Truth be told, I left it on his desk in hopes he'd venture its pages. So it's kind of like Barnabas slipped him this book. Wadsworth, not a bad idea, sir. And Barnabas, thank you, my good man. I take it you're finally catching up on to my method of handling things, says Wadsworth. Barnabas answers, well, since the death of Dr. Lang, so that basically says that that's already happened, and the disappearance of Adam, which we already kind of knew what happened in episode 3, I think I finally had enough of all the pathetic barbarism we've been dealing with. So yeah, he's, Barnabas is ready to go in the way of Wadsworth's example, just for the sake that he's just at it with all the bummers, you know. It's like Dr. Lang and Adam and uh, what a mess. So to uh, kind of influx the uh, Dr. Frankenfurter potential in Wadsworth, that wasn't the exactly the best way of seeing you somewhat cured. How one can project a life force into another body is something I'd tried myself, however, and I can't quite see the connection to having two bodies walking around with only one thing propelling them forward. Yeah, and I'm with Wadsworth on that because I just not did I just did not get the Adam Barnabas's life force, and then you get some other life force for Eve, and it's like how can you have one life force and pe propelling two people? This is just not making any sense. I don't get it. It seems more like wizardry than science or whatever. And then Barnabas says, ah, then perhaps it was your odd solution. This we're trying to figure out. Why is Barnabas not so vampiric anymore? And Wadsworth asks, coffee and brandy, sir. I doubt it. And Barnabas says, hmm, I've seen your usage of the laboratory. I think there's something quite different you've been serving me. Why you're so keen to being useful to me is still the mystery often on my mind. And yeah, it should be on everybody's mind. But in any case, Barnabas is trying to figure out, well, you know, maybe you actually made me sort of mortal, sort of kind of. And, uh... So, why why are you so 
keen on being useful to me is still the mystery often on my mind and Wadsworth so we go back to clue the movie there's not to make reply there's not to reason why there's but to do and die Barnabas die merely quoting sir from Alfred Lord Tennyson's charge of the light brigade so I wanted it to be a little more give you more information than what he did in clue the movie so he had said in the clue of the movie merely quoting from Alfred Lord Tennyson but he didn't say charge of the light brigade but I had to go Lord charge of the light brigade I had to go look for that myself who is that, Barnabas says, because he just doesn't know, like, all this stuff. There's, like, this big gap between the 1790s and the 1960s where he's just not learned. And, uh, so, <laughs> that Wadsworth was, sir. You know, he's not, you know, Alfred, Alfred Lord Tennyson isn't around anymore. And sighs, oh my. Dale Carnegie before Tennyson, sir, and he tisks, tisks. Uh, apparently you're much better at screening books for others to read than I am. Barnabas says, I suppose. I've been a bit behind on my reading. Yeah, you'd think so. Well, 200 year gap, pretty much. No doubt, sir. On that note, there's an there is another quote by Tennyson I'd like to mention. Oh? Barnabas asks, Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Yeah, when I found that Tennyson said that, I'm like, oh, we gotta put it in there somehow, but it can't be for the sake of the way Barnabas is gonna turn out in this thing. So Barnabas sadly touched, beautiful and likely true. How does it fit? It. Wadsworth smilingly, it doesn't, sir. Between you, I, and my employment here, it's not a beneficial quotation. Barnabas content, I see. Thank you for that. And without further ado, I shall take this painting with me to, well, and so he's about to, he's not going to say, I'm going to take it to Sam Evans and explain myself, you know, and Wadsworth says, no need to tell me, sir. It is better I don't know than I shan't have to explain it to anyone else. I'll close the door behind you. So he kind of knows what's going on, but he doesn't need all the details. So if somebody asks, like, where's Barnabas Collins? He could say, I don't know. <laughs> but Wadsworth wouldn't say it like that. I have no idea, sir. So, uh, Barnabas says, thank you, and sound of door closing. Milligan and says, and now we return you to Carolyn and Tony Peterson in Scooter Bay. Sound of car door shutting. Carolyn's kind of looking at Nori's lobster house. It is quaint. And, uh, Tony agrees. Uh, shall we go in? Wait, Tony, I just wanted to tell you. Yes? Well, to thank you, really, this has been a very pleasant day for me. A walk by the ocean, a beautiful drive along the coast, and subtle smooching noise. And Tony's gratified. Well, what was that for? Uh, for everything, my dear, you are one to keep. And so they are seated, Milligan says, orders taken, and they peruse the various topics of conversational enjoyment. Then Carolyn, more kind-hearted than one might give her credit for, becomes distracted by a woman seated nearby. And so by that time, yeah, Mrs. Beer is just frazzled, going to Nori's lobster house for just a moment to herself. If she can get one, I'm sure the captain's like hovering around her in the ether. So kind of hitting back to whenever they were having that court hearing at Nori's lobster house for whatever reason, I remember somebody in the middle of the court hearing, it's like, can I have the salt? And it's like, this is so weird. So, excuse me, ma'am. And uh, Mrs. Beer says, oh, would you like the salt from this table? So that's where I was kind of digging that from, is that weird court hearing. I can't remember what it was about, but they were having it at Nori's Lobster House of all places. It's like, yeah, this place is pretty uh, slim on uh, area of if you're having like a court hearing at a lobster house. So, uh Carolyn Stoddard asked, No, I was just wondering if I might ask. You seem terribly upset. I was wondering if you'd like to talk about it. And Mrs. Beer leaning forward, Oh, well, no, I mean, yes, well, it is a little awkward. And Carolyn Stoddard, Tony, let's move the table. Tony 
what, toward the wall? Yes, there's not much on it yet, just the silverware. Well, okay, heave ho, says Tony. And Milligan says, and so they join their table to their neighbors against the wall. One might be puzzled at this behavior, but good moods being so rare, the two felt ample to share. And uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody's recognized that or noticed that, but when a couple gets kind of into each other, they get in this really good mood and anything's possible. I've seen it with pairings I've been involved in and, you know, other friends getting involved in, you know, whatever sweethearts they pertain to. And then suddenly you're just kind of like, well, let's just be nice to everyone because I feel really good. That's where that comes from, that kind of randomness of let's be kind to this woman and hang out. So, uh, Mrs. Mirror, well, that's very kind of you and so sudden, too. And Tony's all, we've had a lovely day, so we're only too happy to share it. Now, what's the trouble? Well, my name is Carolyn Mirror. Hecubus snickering. He he he, we made her say it, too. And Milligan's like, hush, Hecubus, because he's always interrupting with this my name is crap. Carolyn Stoddard's like, why, that's Carolyn? Why, that's my name, too. And Mrs. Beer says, oh, well, in that case, it'll be just as well you call me what everyone else does. I'm Mrs. Muir. So we just sort of dispense with her being Carolyn Muir, and she's just Mrs. Muir, like in the book and the radio drama and the movie, just like in the TV show. Very often, it's in the title. She's Mrs. Muir. She's not really known as Carolyn Muir or Carolyn anything. It's just Mrs. Muir. Tony, hello, Mrs. Muir. I'm Tony Peterson. Carolyn, and you know my name, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mrs. Beer worriedly, definitely. Well, the crux of the matter is I have an old painting in my home, which I'm renting. That's the house, not the painting. <laughs> and my children were playing around by it. And well, it's got a stain on it now, and it's dirty and old as it is. It needs to be cleaned and likely a little refurbished, Carolyn asks. Mrs. Beer, yes, and though I've lived here some time, I don't know anyone who could do that kind of work on such an old painting, but it has to be done as well. A friend of mine has prominently put it. So yeah, Captain Greg is just going kind of ballistic on her in the ether, just like, you've got to put it, you've got to put this to rights, madam. And a friend, Tony asks, Mrs. Beer, in so many words, Carolyn Stoddard, oh well, and Milligan, this part of the conversation is interrupted by a request for a drink and a meal order for Mrs. Muir. I shall dispense with these trivialities and return you to the Evans Cottage, knocking noises. And I guess it's like still, like maybe it's sunset about this point. And Sam is like, huh? Mr. Collins, my, what a surprise to find you out at this hour. Oh, says Barnabas. The sun is still out, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm always like re-listening to this novel. Boy, I did do that pretty good with Sam. Yeah, somebody said, you know, Sam's chop speech and little vocal habits, like he really got those down. And I'm like, okay. Oh, yes. Well, my business has allowed me a bit more leisure time to devote to a certain pursuits, particularly this one, says Barnabas. Shifting of painting. Sam, my goodness, carried that, did you? Usually you hire someone to do that. So many changes. And Barnabas says, I am somewhat more fit than I have been. Now, if you take a look here. Oh, what a wicked looking woman and familiar somehow. Attractive, but still. And Barnabas is like, yes, I entirely concur. And Sam says, you digress, of course. Here, just plop it on the easel. Now, what are you bringing me this for? I want you to age it. And he's thinking, make the painting itself look older, not the person in the painting. So he's all, age it? This? This is hardly a new painting. It must be over 100 years old already. If you want, I could distress the frame with sandpaper and then slap some peanut butter and jelly over the picture and wipe it with tack cloth. But I doubt that will do much. Why do you want this done? And Martin Salt, this is a job to be done with no questions. I don't want you to stress the portrait itself, just the subject in the painting, so that she ages older and older, until she is well over a hundred years old, maybe two, and I'd like you to begin at precisely 10.15pm and use the stiffest bristles you can manage. So a lot of this is taken from original Dark Shadows, and it's just me trying to interrupt the thing and 
get this uh, relief series off to a good start. And of course, stop the uh, messing of Sam Evans. I'm just, oh, yeah. Where were we? Then uh, Barnabas is overtaking the uh, portrait of Angelique to Sam to do some Dorian Gray voodoo. But I pay you 500 to do what I ask instead of, because uh, he's offering to just buy it for 50 bucks. Because it's like, well, if you don't want this thing, 500 to do what I ask. And it's like, are you serious? Do I look like I'm jesting, asked Barnabas. And Sam, studious joviality, you could be playing deadpan. So I just thought that was a good move for Sam to make. Just like, well, you could be playing deadpan. So, some people do that when they're joking. And Barnabas, Mr. Evans, I would like the job done by you. With your skill, I am sure it can be accomplished to grand perfection, distracted. I say, you appear to have gotten lost in thought, says Barnabas. Sam, pause, hmm? I have an odd feeling. Yes? Barnabas, like I've seen her before, says Sam. And this is where he's having his flashback as Andre Dupre, which is my invention. Oh, my. Not recently, have you? No. Sam says softly, but it seems so long ago, so very long, long, that it would surpass my own lifespan. Her face is familiar to you, asked Barnabas. No, not simply her face. The hair, the clothes, heated everything. Mr. Evans, you are looking a little vengeful, says Sam. I believe I may feel somehow wronged by this image. Mr. Collins, I'll do it. Barnabas, with the harshest of brushes? Of course, says Sam. At 10.15 p.m., precisely yes in fact i'll just cover this up and put an alarm here so good idea if you continue to stare at it you look like you may become too eager i believe you're right says sam what could be coming over me i can't say but i'm sure it'll make the work go faster and you know this totally works because when i go over episodes of dark shadows again sam has just this psychic vibe and it's like the painting of laura where he just has to do it he doesn't know why and he just keeps on painting Laura like the phoenix that she is, you know? It's like, okay. And then, I get so tripped out some of these lines. I understand, says Barnabas. There are cases of familiarity that can charge certain emotions. Assuredness begins breaking up. Deja vu has that effect on Sam. Mr. Collins, now you look a little lost. Barnabas, you know, Mr. Evans, there's something more familiar to me about you as well. I can't place it yet. Hmm. I suppose it's only thoughtfully, Sam. A fluke? Likely. Not surprised. Deja vu. Funny. Barnabas. I believe it literally means already seen. And Sam says, yes, French, isn't it? Psh. That in itself is giving me deja vu, because he's having a flashback as Andre Dupre. And Barnabas says, is it? I suppose we could only continue to wonder on that score. And Milligan cuts in, with this part of Barnabas Collins' errands out of the way, we return you to Scooter Bay. Door closing, and so now we're at Gull Cottage with Mrs. Muir and Tony Peterson and Carolyn Soddard. And Martha. Well, here we are. Home sweet home, says Mrs. Muir. And an older woman's voice, this is Martha. Oh, Mrs. Muir, hello. So weird, because I grew up with Rita Shaw in all kinds of movies like Mary Poppins and Escape to Wish Mountain, and it's like, now I'm performing Rita Shaw. I mean, it's just weirdest stuff. What a life. Oh my gosh. Martha Collinsburn, what a long drive. I've heard of peculiar goings-on thereabouts. And Tony Peterson, I hate to be a spreader of superstition, but anything you may have heard is likely fairly close to true. With a grain of salt, ma'am, and Carolyn Stoddard as tittering, perhaps a quarter teaspoon of salt, to be more accurate. Martha, really? And Carolyn Stoddard, it's all the stormy weather puts people into a flight of fancy crash of thunder. Martha, you think you've got stormy weather. We do as well, but it comes and goes so quickly sometimes. That flash and crash likely to make a drizzle and go out in two minutes. Probably all heads over to us, says Carolyn Stoddard. Tony could be. 
I always wondered if any place nearby had prior warnings, so that's a good case for having Gull Cottage in a story about Collinsport, a Schoonaberry story about nearby Collinsport. And so then Mrs. Muir is going to start having her as she's going through. She has, you can tell that Captain Greg's bothering her just by the way she's acting. And she's Martha, the children in bed. And Martha, oh yes, all tucked in and sleeping like angels. We have the evening to ourselves. And good work, Martha. Well, let's move into the parlor here and you can look over the painting. And then under her breath, yes, I can trust them. Stop worrying. And Carolyn Stoddard's asking, confused, why would I be worried? Because Mrs. Muir is talking to herself, you know, or so it looks like. Mrs. Muir jumps a bit. Oh, well, it's a little hard to clean, I'm sure. Well, perhaps I was worried. Steps into another room. Click of lamp. Here is the painting. Captain Greg, he built this house and named it Gull Cottage. And of course, falters the bits of mustard off to the side, um, because there's probably more than mustard over there. And Carolyn's daughter is like, oh my, very grand, forbidding, but with a certain charm. Well, minus the condiments, of course. And Tony, I figured I'd give him, like, an in for Captain Greg. Uh, yes, quite an admirable-looking seaman. So somehow Tony is able to say the right thing at the right time. And that's where Captain Greg's probably saying, Oh, he called me a seaman. Well, that gives him some major points. And Mrs. Muir says, under her breath, Yes, see, I told you we could trust them. And Tony asks, hmm, because he hasn't heard anything from Captain Greg. Mrs. Muir, you do have a habit of muttering. And Mrs. Muir apologizes. I tend to make mental notes in a verbal manner. I'm a writer. Are you very impressed with the portrait? Carolyn, oh yes, it's quite a change from the paintings of ancestors we have at Collinwood. With those paintings, it seems to be mainly about wealth and stature. Rather than showing what they spend their time doing, they're all so stuffy, barely a hint of a smile. But then Tony explains that's a newer expectation in portraiture. And then Mrs. Muir says something that I saw on like, it was a ruler, just like to show distance. And it had like president's portraits on it. And yeah, as you go along, you see like, it's just, you know, bland, bland, bland. And then like the hint of a smile and then bigger smile. And then you get to the point where they're showing some teeth and then it's just wild, just keeps getting worse and worse over time. It just gets more and more smiley. And, oh yes, says Mrs. Muir, have you seen a set of the president's portraits all lined up? I believe there was an idea, under her breath quickly, yes, I'm getting to that, because Ghost of Captain Greg's bothering her, back to normal voice, that if one smiled it wasn't dignified, but nowadays that idea has changed. Yes, it has, says Tony, a bit of Hollywood taking over. A smiling face is so much more inviting, I suppose, though I prefer honesty and expression, however it forms. So yeah, it is a bit of Hollywood taking over, because, you know, after a while you just see what's going to be more inviting to like advertisements and then it just bleeds into every other facet of our lives it's like okay so now that we have this thing called pictures and photographs and you have to take a good photograph i mean i even remember i wish i could talk to Oshin about this because there was somebody for some candidate and he had just a miserable radio voice and that just lost him the election and i can't remember all of my life who the heck it was but i remember some show that I watched for like just technology and history and that kind of thing and yeah and I remember when they had the voice of this guy like running for president or something and the voice was just gravelly and my folks remembered like my parents were just like oh yeah that was just something else yeah he was not going to make it with that voice and and because back then it was all about radio and did you have a warm enchanting soothing voice and then later on it's all about the image it was all about pictures and that kind of thing so and moving pictures and how well did you were you seen in the visual form 
You know, that's another reason I prefer just to be a voice to all y'all, especially since I don't know who the heck y'all are. And yeah, radio could make or break a candidate back in the day, and then later on it's all about the visual. Which kind of makes you really wonder and wonder, and I wish we wondered more, you know. I keep telling myself I gotta speed this up, and I'm not doing that. So yeah, this was actually, I can't, there was a piece of episode 3 that definitely was added, which was, so for episode 3 of The Strike Out of Brooklyn, most of it was the same as my original draft, but later on with the podcast, I decided to update it with Sophia asking Mrs. Johnson, why are they driving? Why don't they just fly? And it made a lot of sense for Mrs. Johnson to say, well, because of what happened to Burke Devlin, he died in a plane crash, so Victoria Winters isn't so keen on flight as transportation. And so they could have a road trip, and that made a lot more sense. And so I just put that little additive into episode three. Whereas this scene with Roger and Elizabeth, it was just so nice that episode 14, where they're like having that sequence where they're opening the mail together. So I figured, well, why don't we have them go over a postcard of what, where Victoria's been? And it just did really well. And Roger, Liz, you seem a bit concerned over that. Any worries? And Elizabeth, mild surprise. Well, it's nice to hear you care. Oh, of course, says Roger. I've been feeling a great deal better lately, just going over some legal matters. But what have you got there? And a postcard from Victoria, says Elizabeth. Ah, and how is our old governess doing? A shaky hand wrote this, I'm afraid, meaning she was nervous. Postmark says Washington State, but I can't make out the city. And so, yeah, so Twin Peaks is purportedly, you know, according to fiction, in Washington State. And so, yeah, it's uh, she's having a hard time making out. It's like, well, we know it's Washington State, but we can't make out the city. So something big in Washington was the Space Needle. And so Roger says, likely went to go and investigate the Space Needle in Seattle. I hear that's quite a structure for fools without fear, which I talked about in another podcast. Roger, must you always have something acidic to add? And Roger says, of course, you know me. Because we all do, don't we? <laughs> Elizabeth sighing. To be sure, I do. At least you're calmer these days. Anyway, I do wish this fellow she finally picked out had a sure name. Because is he Jeff Clark or is he Peter Bradford? For our sake, he's Peter Bradford. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that she didn't tack it onto her own yet. The paperwork for their marriage was so hazy. Roger, ah well. They tried, and people take it as read that they're married as things are. To many of us, emblems and watermarks make a document. But the ceremony still holds higher importance to most people. And yeah, as far as I can tell, it does. It's like, if you don't have a ceremony, then you're not married. If only I'd been so wise to take my marriage vow as simply, then I wouldn't have to bother looking over the contractual mess of it. Sorry to hear that, Roger. I did warn you not to marry her. I know it, but I'll see how binding it all is. Anyway, what does Victoria write? Well, the most recent place they stayed had a murder investigation going on, but they've been able to leave and move ahead. Heh, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good start at getting away from all the bizarre turmoil of this place. Maybe she took some of it with her. I wouldn't think so, says Elizabeth. She was so happy when they left. So you said, says Roger, and glad to hear it. Reassuring. Well, perhaps it was only a stroke of bad luck. If they're still on the road, there's hope for them yet. Elizabeth says, thank you, Roger. And he says, you're welcome, sister. And then patting of shoulder. And that, of course, was me just patting my own shoulder. I think I put some blanket over my shoulder just to make it more fluffy or something. But yeah, just more Roger and Elizabeth sharing some downtime and all that. <laughs> 
Little does Roger realize, says Billigan, that his missing lady, that I covet so highly because Billigan is totally gone for Angelique Bouchard, has been neglecting him while snooping through windows at her old abode. I suppose she doesn't want to put in an appearance until she discovers why she's been summoned elsewhere. Next, we return to the old house where a not-so-blood-sucking anachronism of a man awaits a visitor as he has a courteous discussion with the dependable Wadsworth. So, yeah, not-so-blood-sucking, meaning, yeah, Barnabas has become the pseudo-ex-vampire. Is he a vampire? Is he not a vampire? Who knows? It all depends on what story is going on this week. So they talk about trying to find out where Cassandra is and getting the message to her to, like, hang out. You know, you gotta be here around 10 o'clock and hang out for at least 20 minutes. And Wadsworth says, oh, it took a bit of driving to find her, but I was sure a certain mystic beautician in Boston would have patched up the works of our heroic Mrs. Johnson. A dream curse can only go so far. So, yeah, after Freddy Krueger's done with her, she's gotta go to some mystic beautician so they can do some woo-woo on Angelique. So Barnabas asks Wadsworth, did you tell my cousin Roger where she was? I suggested it, says Wadsworth. She does seem to have the kind of vanity that gave him no misgivings about the idea. You always make me want to raise your salary, says Barnabas. Just huge compliment to his butler here. And ah, oh, there is no need of that quite yet. I appreciate the effort. And after all of my own history, it's very nice to have such a large place to be sequestered. I do welcome the leeway you've bestowed and the solitude, which yeah, he would after all of his past history. Of course, you've earned it, says Barnabas. Just really gratified. If you don't mind, sir, says Wadsworth, I believe I shall venture down to the cellar and continue with my preserves so that he's not really working on any damn preserves. It's like he's obviously going to go ahead and have some fun down there. Oh, very good, Wadsworth. You give yourself all the leisure time you want tonight. I shall. I do anticipate we'll both be needing a little, a bit of privacy. So not privacy, but privacy, as some Englishmen say. Yes, I'm expecting someone almost at this very minute, and there's a knock at the door. Shall I answer, says Wadsworth? No, you do your best to make your way down to your preserves. Like, yeah, we know there ain't no preserves down there. Maybe he's preserving himself. I shall answer it. Good evening, sir. Steps, cellar door opening. And Wadsworth, Barnabas says before he goes down. Yes, sir. Don't be hindered to keep quiet. A few rattling chains would certainly add to the atmosphere this evening. Very good, sir says Wadsworth devilishly. Cellar door shuts, steps, creak of old house front door, and Barnabas welcomes Cassandra in, and she announces herself as Mrs. Roger Collins, and Barnabas says, oh dear, I'm sorry, I keep forgetting, well, oh, what kept you? Oh dear, is that a cat scratch at your arm? And she says, oh no, it's from a bladed glove. Oh, never mind. And then there goes Wadsworth, is how do you do? I see you've met my faithful handyman. He's just a little brought down because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man, so it's like strains of singing from cellar. Oh dear, perhaps you have company and this is the wrong time because yeah, there's just all this singing of sweet transvestite from Rocky Horror going on. And Barnabas Selfisher, oh no, hardly. And then the singing keeps going, don't get strung out by the way I look, don't judge a book by its cover. What was that? Cassandra asks. Oh, just one of the ghosts around here. You know, we have a plentiful variety of ghosts in Collinwood. Yes. And no, I didn't. And then the singing keeps going. I'm not much of a man by the light of day, but by night, I'm one hell of a lover. Barnabas, politely ignoring singing. I haven't seen you around Collinwood lately. Pouring brandy. I thought perhaps you were on a vacation. And the singing continues. Let me show you around. Maybe you'll pl play you a sound. You look like you're both pretty groovy. Cassandra. No, agitated by this distraction. I just decided to go to Boston for some shopping. Without telling anyone? That's peculiar, isn't it? Is it? Cassandra says. Well, actually, no one even knows I've come back from that trip. Or what's on it. 
Corbus points out. I had an idea you and a portrait my husband seems to have misplaced. Misplaced? You must be up snuck over there and peeped in a window to get that information. Perhaps I did, she says. I believe that portrait is missing. Soft but pleasantly. How fortunate. Because that's the flub, you know, it's like he was supposed to say how unfortunate that he was like, so I just let him go like, how fortunate that the portrait was missing. Will you have a brandy? As you can see, I am having one. It's like showing off like, I'm not so much of a vampire anymore. Check it out, dude. Why not? It has been a bit drafty in this house coat because she has that big paisley boo-boo or whatever that Cassandra always wears. And she says, chilly night air, of course, and then hands her glass. I know you're used to a much warmer climate, meaning Martinique. Vaguely ticks says Cassandra, I'm not a native of Maine, all right? So then Barnabas says, well, do I look of Passamaquoddy lineage to you? And Passamaquoddy is actually a tribe that I think hangs around the main area of the states. So that's what I was going for. Now, yeah, it is a peach dragon thing, but why leave it like that? I mean, there actually is a tribe bull name that, you know, it's not even messed up. It's like, I think it actually is Passamaquoddy, like more or less in pronunciation. So, yeah, it's one of the ones that has been kind of messed up in Merc because of translational problems, you know, so to speak. It's like, you know, there's various issues with, there's a lot of tribal names that are incorrect because they were referred to as something nasty in another language and then sort of adopted those. And yeah, it's just, it's a big swirly mess. But I think Passamaquoddy is as close to the original pronunciation and name of the tribe, that tribe from Maine. And so that's kind of cool, just like so. Barbara says, well, do I look of Passamaquoddy lineage to you? And of course, going back to Pete's dragon, Cassandra asks, Passama what? And he says, have your brandy. Wadsworth continues singing the Sweet Red Vestite song. I'll get you a satanic mechanic and sipping noises that acquire splutter and Cassandra wipes her mouth you still haven't mentioned why you wanted me here singing fades into the distance well it is and Barnabas announces 10 13 p.m and all is well and of course Cassandra asks do you normally shout out the time because <laughs> it's like yeah why would you announce whatever time it is that loudly do you normally shout out the time he says not normally but here we are with not another soul about and just to contrary be contrary to that then keep singing the I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual and then sing, singing dies away. Man, I can't believe how funny this thing still is as I'm trying to calmly do this retrospective. And uh, Cassandra sips, trying to shake off a bizarre scenario. Good brandy. She says, I must say I'm rather tired of sherry because that's Roger's usual drink of choice. I do hope so. You see, I think tired is a good word for how you will feel in five four, three, two, because he's relying on Sam Evans to start scourging the painting. What are you, one? Cassandra, ow! And Milligan announces, meanwhile, at the Evans cottage, where Sam has become possessed of a previous life as Andre Dupre. And yeah, if Andre was on the other side and he knew what was going on in the 1790s, this is how he would react. You know, having this opportunity to just mess with even a, a portrait of Angelique. Despicable monster. I remember now and straight from the underworld. I hate you and what you did to my daughter, you conniving, wrathful, underside of a beast. Now you are 60. And with this stroke, I'm moving you on to 80. And back at the old house, Cassandra, she said, that smarts. And I just thought, because I remember hearing it in so many old shows, movies, radio dramas, whatever. It's like, that smarts as opposed to that hurts. And when I was little, I was like, what on earth does that mean, that smarts? And it's like, it means it hurts. Well, well why did they say that? And they were like, I don't know. And so she just says, that smarts. Martis angry. It darn well ought to. You have interfered with my family and love life for far too long. And she's horrified. My hand, it's wrinkled and gnarled. Well, here's a mirror, he shows her, if you'd like to powder your nose. And she sees her face, he's like, what is in that 
Pond's cold cream because I was like, what was available as like some sort of beautifying health cream or something? It's like, what's out there? And you know, what was out there? And so Pond's cold cream came up and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that one. And what is in that Pond's cold cream? Because that must be what's wrong, of course. And never mind, says Barnabas, you shall either repent what you've done or wither away back to the bubbling sulfur of hell. Because it's like got sulfur. It's like, I'm allergic to sulfites. And he says, well, stop drinking wine. Because wine, a lot of wine tends to have quite a few sulfites in it. And yeah, there is some allergies to sulfites. I've uh, been uh, kind of a victim of that a little bit myself. So I know what you've done, says Cassandra, and I'll find who is responsible. And Barnabas pot amused. What? No pretending you aren't Angelique? And she's just doe-eyed, who? And then Barnabas is headed. Oh, fine. I'll open the door for you and your miserable fro. Because that is what he's calling that crazy, dark, curly wig she's wearing. <laughs> like, your visible fro. And then she screams and clumps out the door and slams it. And then Milligan, we now return you to the Evans Cottage, not to be confused with Gull Cottage. Well, maybe kind of, because they've both been in this episode. And there's this knocking at the door, and Sam is still wildly possessed by Andre to pray, but, it, you know, it's sort of, it's still like a flash reincarnation thing. Just like a flash regression type of thing. And I can't remember what all these words even mean in French. Etra Fotu and Sacre Merit. And I didn't do Sam. I didn't try to do Sam with any kind of accent because I noticed when I tried to do that, it just sounded way too much like Captain Greg. So it's like, that's yeah, just not going to work. So I just do a bad French, you know, with Sam. I just did a bad one on purpose. It was on purpose. Okay, so we're almost done with uh, the story itself. Turning to the Evans Cottage, not being to the Gull Cottage, well, maybe kind of. Sam was wildly possessed and. Who could that be? Stomping to the door. Crash of thunder as the door opens. That weather did follow us here, says Carolyn Stoddard. It did indeed, says Tony Peterson. Sam breaking free of the possession, quote unquote. Huh, Carolyn? Mr. Peterson? That's me, says Tony. What are you doing here? Oh, Mr. Evans, please let us in, says Carolyn. I'm afraid it'll rain any minute. And Sam coming to a more normal behavior. Of course, come right in. Shall I perk some coffee? Oh, we've already had quite a bit in Schooner Bay. Schooner Bay, asked Sam. Oh, yes, Mr. Evans, says Carolyn. We were just there, and there was this very kind woman who needed a painting cleaned and refurbished, and we just thought of you naturally. I'm already working on something, says Sam, because he's trying to scourge the other painting. In fact, it's a bit of a particular schedule for right now. I mean, and Carolyn interrupts. Oh, I knew you'd be just the man for the job. Let's bring this in. Lugging noises. Oh, honestly, Miss Donard, I can't work on this right now. Tony, you mentioned something about coffee? I thought you didn't want, says Sam. Oh, yes, Mr. Evans, please perk some coffee up. Can you make it strong? And Sam is gratified. Well, it's a about the only way I can make it. So yeah, he steps out. I kind of feel bad. I felt bad for him like years ago. Like, like he's getting these compliments for having strong coffee. And Carolyn says, good thinking, Tony. Tony, somewhat sensuous. Anything for you, Miss Stoddard. Oh, Tony, you are so formal. I noticed he became that way, meaning formal, when things weren't going how he expected. Carolyn says, yes, something is going on here. Let's see what gasp. What is it? Good. And, and that was, yeah, when I was re-listening, I just thought it was so funny. It was like, he's like, sounds so disinterested. What is it? Good God! I'm pretty proud of that performance, I must admit. Carolyn shocked. No kidding. That looks like Uncle Roger's wife. And then some, Tony admits, but she's older and coming well and glued, I think. We need to hide this, says Tony, before 
Carolyn says, before he fixes it to what she looks like now, exactly, they just come up with all these ideas, just all of a sudden when they see it, they're just kind of like, well, we gotta switch the portrait just because. Okay, let's get to it. Switch the portrait, says Carolyn, and Tony says, right behind you. They just feel like there's something bad going on. We have to do something, so let's just switch it out. And then I felt so bad to say I'm none the wiser. All right, here's the coffee. Hey, what the heck? And car motor noises, they're racing away. And Milligan says, And essentially, as our listeners may easily have discerned, Carol and Tony are leaving with the painting. Sam, well, Mabonte, which I think means my goodness or something. I might as well go back to, which is what is he doing? You know, what the hell is this painting? Dark Shadow, Crescendo of Downfall theme, then exit the Ghost of Mrs. Muir TV theme. And oh my gosh, that propelled me so many walks to work. So many walks everywhere, that freaking ending. I was just like, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. So, yeah, and then all due respect, Kids in the Hall, which is where Milligan and Hecubus comes from, Clue, 1980s film, Rocky Horror Picture Film, because that's where that song comes from, and The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, 1960s TV show, which is this whole new course in the pit of Ultimate Dark Shadows, and of course, Dark Shadows, 1960s TV show. So let's go to the commentary, which is half the point of this whole show 2014 february still heck of digging on the fourth wall violations really fun cameos and running gags the golden girls in the intro and then sophia popping up again later in the fourth episode now i don't understand that was hilarious and wadsworth pulling out the frankenfurter musical interlude was hilarious really digging the twin peaks references caught the time machine hat tip on the second listen and i'm looking forward to re-listening to all of them so that i can pick up on the gold that I am missing on the first run through. And your delivery. I will never tire of that. You have a very pleasant voice and a deft hand at characterization. I can't speak to character fidelity for all of them. Haven't had a chance to pick up Dark Shadows, but those that I do know have characterization. I can't speak have been easy to follow, and I haven't noticed myself getting lost between any of the character shifts. I will have more feedback as I listen further. Thanks. So... I really am not sure. I wrote it down as podcast listener. It just, I don't know, maybe it was just a random guest from Potomatic. Yeah, then the friend that I lost, um, episode four of your podcast, and I think it's one of your strongest episodes yet. And that's from February 9th, 2014. I'm enjoying your take on to- the Tony and Carolyn relationship, and I'm wondering if we'll be getting more of them in future episodes. Yes, indeed. I'm going to get them all the way through. Wadsworth was great as always, and that whole Rocky Horror thing was really wild. Sam was interesting too. So, is he the reincarnation of Count Andre Dupre, or is he being possessed by his ghost? So, yeah, it was. A, it's a reincarnation. As a classic movie fan, I have heard of the 1947 Gene Turney classic, The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, but haven't seen it yet. I didn't know there was a television series. After watching some clips on YouTube, I have to say it seems perfect for Dark Shadows, I guess meaning blending together. Warren, 2014 December, I need to compliment you. You do all of your characters so well, including the housekeeper, who was also in Mary Poppins. Yeah, Rita Shaw. But if Hope Lynch were still alive, she would be impressed how well you nailed her. Sweet Transvestite was not only wonderfully done, it's fantastic how you made Angelique Lyons gel so well with the song. Also, the blooper with Barnabas was wonderful because you did it in such a way it sounded like it wasn't a blooper, but is the way it should be all along. Every bit of the episode is so wonderful. You knew I was going to say that, but does it make a difference when it is so true? 
all in all, you're doing what should be done and what's supposed to be done. Besides, most fanfiction just wants to keep a show gone alive. You have a higher purpose, to fix what was left unfixed. Thank you. On that note, though it has to do with episode 3, I think Mrs. P talking, taking Adam to give him a better life is wonderful. Kudos to you. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, here we come with O'Sheen. May 8th. 2015. I didn't expect the episode to end at this point. I was more ready for more. So that is a good sign. Ne sais pas. Meaning, I think, isn't it so. I loved your note about <coughs> Jonathan Frid's how fortunate um, blooper and the choice you made because of it. Also love Hecubus's slip of the tongue with Santa for Satan definitely creates a trippy image with Hecubus as Santa's elf. Actually, I can see Patafi and Aristide as a twisted version of Santa and an elf, but this is straying from the subject a bit. Yeah, that's pretty good, too. Nice touch with the joke about making Tony say, my name is dot dot dot. Also, good point with Tony mentioning the annoying frequency with which he is robbed of his free will. I love the mention of Professor Stokes' cheese and unsweetened biscuit. Yeah, I love that from the original show. It's like, I would like a da 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 cheese and completely unsweetened biscuit. It's just like, it's so just yeah, it was this nice little thing that he had going. The discussion of whether loved and lost is or is not a beneficial quotation. Yay, thank you, Oshin. Backtracking a bit, the whole discussion of Barnabas reading Matter and Rogers, and the question of Barnabas reading Dale Carnegie before Tennyson brought up some ideas that I found interesting, because of course, Barnabas is very well read with things that came before 1795, but presumably, he has some pretty large gaps in his knowledge and cultural slash literary awareness for things between then and 1967. I was thinking of that when watching the show. I think when Barnabas and Julia were first trying to figure out who the ghost of Beth is, Barnabas mentions that he thinks her dress looks Victorian, and that made me think, how did you learn anything about Victorian? Barnabas, you must have had a heck of a crash course to go through in trying to catch up with what's been going on since 1795. So anyway, yes, Dale Carnegie and Tennyson made me think of the Old House Book Club with Julia and Wadsworth and company continually coming up with books they think Barnabas needs to read to catch up with the intervening 172 years. Anyway, I liked Sam's comment about how usually Barnabas hires someone to do menial below the Lord of the Manor type stuff like lugging a painting around and Sam's description of the painting, aging process, and the sandpaper and peanut butter and jelly. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was just getting so exacerbated, nobody mentioning that. The talk about the weather at Scooter Bay was a nice homage to the crazy bad weather that always turns up just when the plotline demands it in the environs of Collinwood. The mention of the Muir children sleeping like angel angels reminded me of the comments someone made to us during our kids' first year that there is nothing more beautiful than a sleeping child, which of course could refer to the actual angelic looks, but which we always take to mean, oh, thank God, they are finally asleep. I did wonder about Tony being much of an expert on the history of portrait painting on the past conventions of how people should look in portraits, etc. It seemed to me rather more likely that Carolyn would know a lot about old portraits since she's grown up surrounded by them, true, and that Tony would disdain them, or would have disdained them, before he came, became sweet on Carolyn anyway, as yet more of the trappings of the false aristocratic culture that he 
sneers at with his antipathy to the born with silver spoon in mouth privilege of the Collinses that he has when we first meet him on DS. I enjoyed the dig at Angelique's housecoat, unquote, and also the mention of her coming from a warmer climate, and of course, the jab about Passamaquoddy lineage. Thank you for mentioning that. And finally, the mention of Sam's strong coffee reminded me of Bill's line in episode 40, good coffee, Sam, nice and strong. And of course, being me, I always think of nice and strong as a good description for Bill too. And on that note, I'll post a picture of that nice and strong line for you over on Facebook as a little good night gift. I'm not sure if I recall that at all, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. It seemed very like her. So who is the next in the list? Tangler! Woohoo! Hello! 2015. June. What does he have to say? Episode 4. I enjoyed the jokes and the straight man Tony, whom it appears has a B.O. problem. Boy, can we get a can of scented ocean. It was very well played. Two thumbs up. Ah, the famed ride. Schooner Bay's home. To an estranged aunt, yes, no, maybe. Well, Tony will try and find out with all his many connections. Where are all the billboards? You could have fun there. A picture of our host with the caption saying, now appearing in Schooner Bay's own Nori's Lobster House. Eat and be hypnotized by their wit. Evil. Yes, this is a fine... This is a fine having painting of our ever-loved Angelique. I like your version far better. Opens multiple doors for fun. They do endeavor to route many a person to drive home their thoughts. I think therefore I be. Oh, sorry. Am is the correct word. I think therefore I am. Please don't hit me with the cane of Willie's skin. Ah, uh, hey. Ha, wow, let's just pull up our table to yours. Nice way of to bring them together and add to Carolyn's persona. Age is so true here. Which and who is who? The aging of the painting is not only thing being aged here. Hee hee. An alarm on it don't work till it is cooked. Martha and her gossiping. Weather is as weather does. Hear voices? No problem here. Pay no attention to the sea man behind the curtain. Her hoping for peace and, well, no bothering ghost. Roger is Roger. Gotta love him. This is a nice conversation. A nice change. A start of the new and improved DS. I must say, I played this several times. I enjoyed it so much. Not much of a man... Of a... Much of a man? Said. Such a great way to tie them together. Does this mean Wadsworth will have memories of his altar life? This was your best scene. So funny. Sam has an out-of-body experience. Well, he's uh, in uh, having a flashback. Let's switch the paintings. He'll never know they look the same. Save Sam and add a new player to bring more leeway to write and direct it. Guess they knew about his coffee. Gotta run save ourselves. Yes, it has been forever since I heard it. Nice to have an uplifting bark of music at the end. Yeah, the Ghost of Mrs. Muir theme song. May all the voices be kind and, if not, bring out the paintbrush. Ah, yeah, and the friend sent me a Christmas card. I need to call her. September 17th, 2015. Okay, here are some comments on episode 4. Your sense of pacing and tone is getting stronger and better, in my humble opinion. This episode moved right along and was both funny and gripping. 
I didn't want it to end. The voices were distinct enough that I was almost never in doubt about who was speaking. That's excellent. I know there were a lot of good jokes that I've forgotten, but I've remembered some specifics in answer to your questions below. I loved Milligan and Hecubus removing Tony's curse, especially the joke, and looking into the crystal ball and getting the number out of order message. That cracked me up. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, the telephone operator type voice. It was almost all good except the joke about BO problem got a little too silly for me. Well, it was supposed to, that's true. But the idea that they just zap the curse without the hokey hypno hypnotism. And then Tony doesn't believe they did it. That was great. I loved Wadsworth and Barnabas amusing or mussing over Angelique's painting. There was so much there. The remark about Barnabas's being semi-cured, carping at the Adam storyline, trying to get Roger to read that Dale Carnegie book. I forget what else. But I really enjoyed it. I could tell Wadsworth and Barnabas apart easily too. Well, that's good because I was having a hard time when I was listening. One thing I don't understand. Barnabas seems to eat and drink. Is he a vampire again or cured or something in between? Something in between. That is the answer. I loved it that Carolyn was so nice and concerned about this woman. People on DS are often just scheming or self-involved. I liked the tone. It was just so great to see Dark Shadows people get outside of Collinsport, outside of their own BS, and outside of their own problems. Oh, Barnabas bringing the painting to Sam Evans was great. Barnabas partly remembering Mr. Dupre, Sam feeling his own odd urge for revenge, that French connection, deja vu, Sam offering to distress the frame and smear peanut butter in, on the picture. Both of them getting half hypnotized from looking at the picture. Great stuff. I could easily imagine they were in Gold Cottage admiring this portrait, etc. And I just like the asides from Mrs. Muir, but the best was the joke about how the painting looked great, aside from the condiments, unquote. Okay, I didn't get what was going on with the postcard. Actually, I was confused. I think I've lost track of who Vicky has gone off with and what's going on. That makes sense. Wadsworth interrupting with his interludes did crack me up because it was just funny. This serious conversation interrupted by Rocky Horror. The timing was just right. Barnabas hates Cassandra, but he's trying to have this polite but deadly serious confrontation, and meanwhile this insane sweet transvestite song keeps breaking in. <laughs> Love the final scene. I think I can guess where this is headed, but I'll be eager to find out. I told my best friend about it on the phone afterwards. Quote, I thought it was such a clever plot idea. I was so glad I had recently seen the sequence with Sam Evans and the portrait, so I was on the edge of my seat wondering what you were going to do with all this. I don't remember who this is, I'm sorry, but if you get in touch I probably will remember you. August 12th, 2015. I recently took to listening to The Pit of Ultimate Dark Shadows partly to change up my routine and partly because of the connection to Ghost of Mrs. Muir. Just wanted to say that I love Ghost of Mrs. Muir, Addams Valley, The Monsters, and quite a few other shows slash movies you've used. And now I'm going to have to make my way through Dark Shadows. Raspberry. I was vaguely familiar with it before, but more in a pop culture sense as I'd never seen the show. Kudos on being able to integrate Ghost of Mrs. Mirror and so many other shows together. I think it's very plausible that these characters would know each other using the painting of the captain as a way to bring Ghost of Mrs. Mirror into the storyline felt so seamless. It seemed like it was actually supposed to be like that in either show. Oh, thank you very much, whoever you are. Feel free to get in touch. Oh, here we go with Gary Woolard again. So in November 2015, interested in Wadsworth. Does his story continue going forward? There seems to be something that's going on with him, and not that I want spoilers. You drop some characters, but does Wadsworth keep going on and show a story of his own? 
No, not exactly. So kind of, sort of. Speaking of Barnabas's method of handling things, I love that statement Wadsworth makes. I enjoyed about Wadsworth saying, never to have loved and lost, and never to have loved at all, and not being a beneficial quotation. I could envision Tim Curry saying that. In the intro, you were talking about getting so caught up in this that you're not sleeping well. Are you sleeping any better? Getting the discussion. Yes, yes, yes. Sleeping much better. Thank you, Gary. I like the Tony and Carolyn background music on their date to Schooner Bay. Tony and Carolyn do complement each other so well. It's a very positive way of perceiving them, and I am giving a yes vote for the Time Warp song to get Barnabas to 1897! Exclamation point. It made perfect sense to see Sam Evans as a reincarnation of Andre Dupre! I forgot we talked about that. I'm not sure I understand exactly why Tony and Carolyn do what they do at the end, though. However, yeah, it's pretty quick. In a dream world like Dark Shadows, I know things aren't always going to make sense. Well, yeah, that's why I was like, sure, you let's just do whatever. I like what you said of how this is where your series truly begins. It's going to make you more attentive. You're not going to listen to anyone else but your characters. Very good to make that statement. Love Hecubus saying, Hail Santa! Very fresh, altering the joke. The wafting into the realms of art. I like Hecubus having a sense of aesthetic. Oh, okay, here is Lisa. Sam talking about aging Angelique's portrait. Slapping some peanut butter and jelly on it. I like the feeling of familiarity Sam experiences as he is looking at the portrait. Like it's all coming back to him. Your Elizabeth Stoddard is very good and your Angelique is excellent. You've captured that little lilt she has in her voice very well. Love the nod to Rocky Horror Picture Show. And this episode had a nice introduction to both the Captain and Carolyn Muir. And another dear pen pal. Hey girl, thank goodness for the Pit CD. I listen to it on the drive and the separate tracks make it easier to listen in multiple sittings. Easier to find my place. Today I was on my way home and didn't even realize traffic was at a standstill and backed up because I was so into the CD that it ended and I was like, what is going on here? Fave Tim Curry. Please do more Rocky Horror songs. They are totally delightful and funny. My favorite Rocky Horror of Magenta and Riff Raff. Free will rules, but Tony's still stuck in Colin's port world, so good luck with that, bud. How exasperating to have free will, yet be stuck in crazy world. My faves, Wadsworth, hysterical, definitely want him on my side. I enjoy how you do Carolyn and Roger. I love the idea of aging Angelique's portrait. How devious and rough brush, hee hee evil. You have Carolyn down pat, breathy innocence. I have no trouble discerning the characters. I can feel you settling into this more. Keep it up. Satisfying to Barnabas that Sam seems to recall a bad feeling towards her. I was sure hoping Sam wouldn't get drunk and forget. I used to love Goes to Mrs. Muir as a child. I'll have to revisit it once I finish DS. Good research. I like how you do Roger. You got him down and he's such a scamp. He's funny. I was so tickled at the Rocky Horror song mingling with Cassandra's freaking out comeuppance. You sang it perfectly. And yes, do more Rocky Horror. Please. Hysterical. I was enjoying Angelique's predicament and Sam was enjoying it too much. I just love the sound effects. Please keep up with this. You will be glad you followed your muse when she called you. But please don't burn out on it. 
it would change the tone. You have such a happy, enjoyable tone of joy with it. Yeah, that's it. It's joyful. Ride this mule, baby. Can't wait for more. Newer Lady from 2017. I'm just dying from how meta this work is getting. Tim Curry's character belting out the anthem of Tim Curry's character. Ah, perfect blend of Curry. This is great. Tito, here we go. I spent some time list it's 2017. I spent some time listening to this one so I could hopefully solidify in my mind the relationship of the main characters, basic history stuff, in the half-assed execution of that goal. I picked out some tidbits that I thought were pretty funny or rang a bell in terms of my previous pit of ultimate dark shadows listening. The introduction was cool, reinforcing the Simon Milligan and Hecubus characters and their antics of avant-garde evil. They introduce new character Tony Peterson and pit him through a surrealistic hazing process before tossing him through the third wall like a used condom. They introduce a kind of big fell-in-the-mud joke, which is repeated throughout the episode. I thought that was pretty funny. One of those things that is deliberately so funny I forgot to laugh. They might not be cutting it in the evil department, but they're out there, present, past, and future. Definitely not slackers. Tony Peterson is like a more gentle Robert Wagner, more tolerant, suffers fools kindly, but not a total pushover. He deserves much better than that slut Carolyn. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. So starting out, you get a kind of third wheel view of Carolyn and Tony's romantic but not full tilt in love trip to Scooter Bay. They're not selfish. I almost wrote shellfish with the good fortune that has engulfed them and currently flavors their intrigue and are compelled to comfort a fellow restaurant customer who eventually invites them to her home for some innocent plot development. Some important story elements are introduced in this section. Carolyn has a great aunt in the area, last name Stoddard. I'm a little less confident with the Scooter Bay thread of the story, maybe because I don't have familiarity with the ghost of Mrs. Muir. I need to listen to this section again. There is a character, Martha, who runs the household, a housekeeper. Great voice for this character, Rita Shaw. Kind of a friendly, salt-of-the-earth presence who adds a lot of atmosphere. There's a painting that Tony and Carolyn volunteer to help restore. I guess it has a mustard stain. There is some exchange between the new girl, not Martha, but what's her name? And a disembodied spirit who is a bit suspicious of these newcomers. Right off the bat, I'm thinking that Slimer is the culprit, but I'm maybe just prejudiced by the previous episode after all. Mustard is a fairly popular condiment. The other narrative happening here involves a scheme Barnabas has crafted to fully dick over female nemesis Angelique. This part is kicked off with Barnabas arriving at the home of Mr. Evans and making an unusual a request to distress the painting to simulate wear and tear, but his view evolves as Barnabas lays out a series of specifications regarding timing and technique. I think the language Barnabas uses here is pretty funny with the stiffest bristles, and it is funny to see Mr. Evans becoming engulfed by the negative nostalgia emanating from the portrait. He is compelled to say that he feels he has been wronged by this image, and you get the sense that he would do the job for 
for free. He's like a hitman. With the vibes coming off of the portrait, the painting asserts itself as a third party in this conversation. This is probably my favorite part of this installment. I also like the way Mr. Evans' work is revisited as a quick meanwhile, and you can hear him scratching away at the painting. I would have been tempted to add a lot of other power tools noises, chainsaws, electric drills, pile drivers, but this was consistent with the instructions and still pretty funny. Vandalized with a certain complexity, using my apocalypse now phrase thesaurus, I found the appropriate match with extreme prejudice, unquote. As the plot reaches critical mass, of course, Wadsworth becomes more of an integral player. We delight in the mystery of this magical link between he and Barnabas. It kind of reminds me of the Simpsons when Homer is taken over by a personal assistant, Carl, who turns him into a corporate heavy hitter at the plant. It's like you have a suspicion of people's motives when they appear totally unconditionally helpful, but basically, I think Barnabas and Wadsworth are into the same type of stuff. They share interests. Barnabas shows some discretion in not attempting to ascertain Wadsworth's motivations outside those that define the butler's professional domain slash work ethic, so the question technically remains, who is this Wadsworth? But that is a fun thing to ponder. So be it. On the other hand, when Wadsworth starts blasting songs for Rocky Horror, you wonder if Barnabas is giving a slight nod of approval or if a questioning expression passes his countenance. The radical change of Wadsworth's tone is a great enhancement in this psychological warfare scene. He goes down to the basement and transforms into a karaoke monster. That's what basements can do to you. So Barnabas treats his guest to the onslaught of Wadsworth and probably some narcotic-infused alcohol, and things are coming along nicely. Great sound effects and reverb treatment on this section of the audio. I like the way the ending worked, kind of bringing the two pilot uh, plot threads together. I was sort of wondering if the substitution of the paintings carried consequences beyond the interruption of voodoo vandalization, perhaps a different sort of supernatural outcome. I don't have a prediction, but it does generate possibilities. In conclusion, I will say that I enjoyed this episode and I'm glad that Roger is still reasonably acerbic. And that is it. I'll talk to you later, Daryl. Ooh, yes. Oh, here's another pen pal. This is actually the one who said, hey, we made it out and we got out together and that she was all, thank you for getting me over my social media addiction too, like back in the day. The B.O. problem was a cute joke. So it sounds like the goat, like the ghost captain's picture has been damaged. So Wadsworth and Barnabas want to age Angelique's painting in hope that it will kill off Angelique. Interesting idea. Love the joke of Sam Evans commenting on Barnabas's appearance in the sunlight. Happy face. I like the line uh, referencing Hollywood's influence on pictures. It sounded like Martha was too happy to get rid of the portrait. In more recent books I've read where the character communicates with ghosts in public, they usually wear a Bluetooth headset, so it looks like they are having a phone conversation. That would have been pretty handy for Mrs. Muir. Too bad technology wasn't available, so she looked like a crazy lady. Angelique slash Cassandra is looking for her portrait. Miserable fro. Love it. I expected Sam to see that the portraits were switched and say, Those meddling kids! Maybe I watched too much Scooby-Doo. I also noted that Sam did seem to be under a spell of sorts while working on the painting. I'm curious to see what happens next. I love that you included all the old games, unquote, in your series. It could be funny to have them all playing Clue and have Wadsworth pipe in. Happy face.
So I guess from February 6, 2014. I don't understand this fic at all. This is from Ghost of Mrs. Pierre. Not trying to be mean. I just don't. Carolyn was never involved with anyone named Tony. So she's thinking of Mrs. Muir as Carolyn. I don't even really know who Tony is, but I guess good luck in your writing. We all have a story to tell, sometimes more than one. And I responded the same day. Uh-oh, well, thanks for reviewing anyway. It might make more sense if you listen to the podcast version. It goes a lot slower with the voices mapped out as well as sound effects and music clips just review again and ask if you would like to know how to download that. It's like a radio play, but with intros about all the details, and it's free. I knew the problem would come up because Carolyn Stoddard and Carolyn Muir from two different programs had the same name, which Miss Stoddard points out, which is why Carolyn Muir asked the two to call her Mrs. Muir, as so many others do. But you certainly hit the nail on the head when you said we all have a story to tell, sometimes more than one. This definitely is more than one. It's been a struggle. It's a little like a crossover, except more many spooky worlds are along for the ride. I tried to stick with the 1960s spooky shows as it seemed more appropriate overall. Thanks for speaking up though. I appreciate that. It's nice to know something that's going through the mind of a reader. Many of us never ever find out and we don't. So another guest, episode 4, May 27th, 2015. This was quite interesting. The funniest part, I think, was when there was a random nasal voice going. If you'd like to make a call, please try again later. Very hilarious. I thought Carolyn and Tony's conversation was quite smooth. I found them to be very subtly flirtatious in some moments here. Was she really related to that Stoddard in Scooter Bay? Yeah, I don't know. I still want to try and give my hand a, you know, crack at the whip with that. Again, I enjoy your diction and use of words and the exchange between Wadsworth and Barnabas was seamless. I particularly like your usage of betwixt and acerbic for some reason. And the interaction between Tony and Mrs. Muir was quite amusing, especially when she says, Oh, I do apologize. I tend to make mental notes in a verbal manner. I'm a writer. Nice save, Mrs. Muir. I like how accurate the scene was with Elizabeth and Roger. Informative. And the way she remarks, Must you always have something acerbic to add? Then the scene with Cassandra and Barnabas. I think the fact that someone was singing randomly in the and the way one could imagine the facial reactions only added more to the humor. I liked how distracted she got when she kept hearing it. The painting switch at the end, though, I thought was very cheeky. A fun-filled episode, no doubt. The lady who turned away from the program back in the 60s because it was boring. August 2015. I love your colorful, descriptive language, and I found it interesting regarding all the different books that have been drawn upon for ideals in creating the Dark Shadow series. The applause at the introduction of Milgan. One of my favorite characters was great fun and I laughed when the Skull Crystal Ball was consulted regarding finding out information about the Dream Curse. I listened to it several times as it was really funny that no connection could be made. I also laughed at the applause Hecubus got as he was introduced. The silence and crickets regarding Hecubus's goof in reference to Santa instead of Satan was fun. Hecubus is another favorite character. I found Tony and Carolyn's walk along the beach, car ride, and dinner a very romantic way to spend a day. It made me wish I was Carolyn. I found Wadsworth and Barnabas's conversation regarding Angelique's slash Cassandra's painting interesting. Wadsworth and Barnabas' conversations are usually quite interesting. I'm guessing that the conversation of Tennyson and the quote on love, Wadsworth is suggesting to Barnabas his failure regarding love. Though I knew the lady at a table at the lobster house in Schooner Bay was Mrs. Muir, I was kind of confused as to the relevance other than perhaps to introduce Mrs. Muir and the picture of of the captain in the painting. I did get that Mrs. Muir was talking to the captain and I felt the excuse she gave Carolyn and Tony was clever. I make mental notes in a verbal fashion. But when Barnabas brings the painting to Sam Evans, I felt the story 
really started to get interesting from that point on. The fact that Sam started to recognize Angelique from a different time, and the specific time that Barnabas waited, wanted Sam to begin changing the painting to make her older was very interesting, as was stated earlier, that Barnabas felt the painting was a key to her resurrection. I became curious to know what was going to happen. Sam's agreement to do as Barnabas' request was very satisfying. I really like the Cassandra arrival and how we are made aware that she has been invited to arrive at the time the painting is supposed to be altered by Evans was intriguing. I love the charm of Wadsworth. The conversations, though, between him and Barnabas are very enjoyable. The remark about rattling chains made me curious what was about to happen, as it seemed some noise would help to mask the sounds of something else. I understood it to suggest the eerie flavor that the night had in store regarding Cassandra and the painting. Hating the character of Angelique as I do, I was gratified to know that the painting was working and how she was getting older. Her comment about Pond's cold cream was funny. The sound of brushes hitting the canvas was great. You could tell Evans was angry as he painted. The interruption by Carolyn and Tony in lieu of the painting they wanted fixed was frustrating as they decided to take the painting of Cassandra. I grabbed my face with my hands and thought oh no and then when they stole the painting of Cassandra I said hey come back with that portrait though I gasped in horror as Tony and Carolyn drove off with the painting I really enjoyed the story and that segment but I wanted to comment on how you executed the reason Carolyn and Tony would visit the Evans home to deliver the painting so they could steal the Cassandra painting was very clever and was executed smoothly I loved the ending song and it seemed not only appropriate to the story but was a super way to end the story it was a very interesting episode I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. Thank you for an enjoyable experience. You're welcome. Woohoo. And 2016, I think this is the guy who latched onto me when I was complaining about the internet and social media. My wife dragged me down to a live-action rendition of Rocky Horror last December, which was interesting. If by this posting you still haven't gone, well, you need to go. Uh, that's why I said, you know, just say what you want about me, people. And yes, please do the Time Warp song. So that's another vote. If you haven't already in a future episode, I'm only on four. I have never seen Mrs. Muir, but now looking forward to it. May have to check out the movie first, though. Uh, I don't blame you. I keep hoping to find Al Jolson's Brother Can You Spare a Dime as the outro, but maybe one episode sometime will give you reason to use it. Laugh out loud. The portrait storyline of this episode made the most interesting one so far was something I could follow along with fairly well. Most soap opera situations are hard for me to follow. Yeah, me too. They are almost subtle in nature, not very fast moving, especially in audio only. Good job with it. Thank you, Christopher R. April 30th, 2016. How funny. We are just talking about a DS slash Ghost of Mrs. Muir crossover in a group. Glad to see someone's done it. It's a great pairing. I love the show, love the classic 1940s film, and love the novel. I'm glad that he had read it before I did. Adam's Family Tree, September 27th, 2016. Maybe Barnabas will get help from Captain Greg to tell Reverend Trask where to get off and stay out of Collinsport for keeps. One never can tell. Oh yeah, Pen Pal, who is really into radio dramas and that's why she got involved. So I've listened to episode four. I'm 
going to wait until I get back home to listen to 5 because I had difficulties concentrating on 4 and I think it was barely due to the constant background and not so background noise around here. Anyway, I tried, unquote, to focus on episode 4, but I was having trouble and I'm going to place a large portion of the blame on Indio. First of all, thanks for the rundown on the books. The original Dark Shadows creators were inspired by. Also, I have never seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show, so I don't see why you should feel uncool about never seeing it at a participation screening with others. I am aware of the phenomena. You can tell people, well, at least you're not as a completely square snail mail acquaintance of yours right now. What? He's looking into a skull? Phone? That's just weird. Is this something from a show? or your own. I believe we are wafting into the realms of art. Art who? Hehehe. <laughs> Good moods. Being so rare, the two felt ample to share. Nice. Slap some peanut butter and jelly over the picture and wipe it with tack cloth. To age it, would that work? Hey, probably. Hooray for the storm clouds. Why are there condiments on Captain Greg's painting? Well, it's because the kids were just running around with food, I guess, in the house. I want to know the story behind the condiments. Mental notes in a verbal manner. I'm a writer. A nice lady gave me a worried look this afternoon due to my verbal note taking. Is the he we made you say my name is dot 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 a joke I would understand as being from a fandom or is it just a joke? It has been a bit in this house coat. I'm guessing it's a somewhat skimpy house coat. I liked don't be hindered to keep quiet. Secreting books. Uh, like boozing? Books? Oh no. As in a secreting. Sorry, my bad. President's portraits. And if one smiled, it wasn't dis dignified. But nowadays, the idea has changed. A bit of Hollywood taking over. Yes, it has. A smile being more inviting, I suppose. Although, I prefer honesty in expression, however it forms. Well, yes. But then there is the theory that the very act of smiling actually makes you feel happier. I have a couple of old tin types and no one is smiling in them, although I have seen a few from the 1880s to 1890s where the subject is smiling or rather is grimacing <laughs> desperately hoping the exposure time will please be over soon. Pictures are different than paintings though. A shaky hand wrote this I'm afraid. If they're still on the road there's hope for them yet. For some reason this stuck out for me. The echo effects on Wadsworth's singing is fun. Well done. I'm not a native of Maine. Well do I look of Passamaquoddy lineage to you. Hehehe. <laughs> I like how the suddenly aging woman says that smarts. I don't actually get why they switch the portraits at the end, but maybe it'll become clearer later. Oh, I just don't get it. The upbeat music at the end of the episode is fun. Shouldn't, should I be recognizing it? I initially noted that I thought it was from the prisoner but then i went youtubing the prisoner music episode prisoner music in that didn't sound right i am somewhat pleased with myself to discover i got remembered some of the things this episode referred back to yay see i said to myself i am paying some attention to this and continuing to start to feel i'm making some sense of it and more from helena just thinking about it and your elizabeth voice does have that same dignified blandness that elizabeth on the show 
usually shows when she's not highly emotional, and the echoing of Wadsworth singing almost made me think that an orchestra is about to burst into the parlor and put on a performance that Barnabas and Cassandra or Angelique would never forget. Happy face. One, two, ow! Laugh out loud and miserable fro. I wonder were the writers thinking of Bewitched when Elizabeth Montgomery played Samantha Blonde and Serena Brunette? What do you think, Daryl? And love the brush strokes that Sam was making. He definitely, he's definitely angry. He, he was definitely angry. Happy face. Ah, oh, here's zombie pen pal from 2017. Milgan and Hecubus removing Tony's curse was interesting. The way it was done was so funny too. Got some good laughs from that. Tony and Carolyn's car ride was cool, but I think I didn't necessarily get all of it. As I said before, I'm somewhat new to this fandom. Either way, it was still enjoyable. I liked when Wadsworth and Barnabas were musing over Angelique's painting. I'm not sure how that originally went in the TV show, but I like what you did here. When Tony and Carolyn meet Mrs. Muir, I liked the scene because it seemed genuine, you know? When Barnabas brings the painting to Sam Evans was great. I love the blatant Dorian Gray reference there. That scene and the scene where he messes with the painting are my two faves in this episode. When Tony and Carolyn get to Gold Cottage, I liked the conversation. I also liked how they kind of touch on art history for a second. I did like the scene with the postcard, although I can't pinpoint exactly why it was so good. OMG, Wadsworth's singing was the best. Haha, <laughs> totally made my day. I liked where they switched the paintings. As I said, one of my favorite parts of the episode. I can see what you mean by the story taking off from here and not just playing catch up anymore. Can't wait for the next episode. Okay. And here's the pen pal who helped me start the whole thing. And November 2015, you capture Sam's frequent occasions of being lost in thought with every simple eloquent. Your recreation of his chop speech and little vocal habits are transported. I'm happy for Tony and Carolyn. Your Carolyn is surprisingly delicate. Ah, uh, and Liz and Roger, I can never pass up a chance to praise them. If they had their own spinoff show, I'd be the number one fan of it. Happy face. Wadsworth is so good with Barnabas, I feel him improving the old vampire with every chat they share. Woohoo, yep. Ah, Lord Grow from 2021. I'm a little embarrassed. I haven't read The Turn of the Screw or Nicholas Nickleby. Using the plot device from The Picture of Dorian Gray is fun. Did they do that in the original show? Yeah, a couple times. The Ghost of Mrs. Muir really is good. a good fit, isn't it? And yeah, that's one of the reasons he got interested, because he likes The Ghost of Mrs. Muir. I liked that show in those days. Since I never watched Dark Shadows, you're relating some of the countless unpleasant plot bits really helps me appreciate how warming it is to hear your version where things are better for the characters and look like they they'll get better yet leavened with the with the humor of one tv show crossover after another yes when you slip in a subtle reference it's as much fun as the obvious inclusions Yes, the Time Warp song certainly would be appropriate. I hope I can hear it. That old phone off the hook. Recorded message is hilarious. Haven't heard that in a while. And Santa! Turtle. Is there any significance to the background music? If I could recognize the tune, I suppose I wouldn't have to ask. Well, think of... 
that. I had no idea Dale Carnegie wrote other books besides How to Make Friends and Influence People. Unless you're pulling our legs by referring to a different title. Nope, he wrote a lot of other books. Uh, oh, so Tennyson said, "'Tis better to have loved and lost." Dot, dot, dot. You're making me feel really uneducated. Well, that was the thing. You know, I just use a search engine and look for stuff and use Gutenberg and look for stuff. I'm not that educated as people think. I just, you know, I look for cross-references all, all the time. All this seafood, you're really making me homesick. Why is the time that Evans begins retouching the painting important? Ah, now I know. Well, it's because, you know, Barnabas wants to see Cassandra when it's happening so he knows that it's actually happening. That's the thing. And funny to hear that Mrs. Johnson's dream curse hit the mark. Oh, that's pretty funny that they can hear Tim Curry singing in the cellar. A heating duct or something, I suppose. The way the song inter interleaves into Cassandra and Barnabas conversation gets funnier and funnier. Da -da -da. Oh, how fortunate. Unquote. Happy face. Nice reference to the local Native Americans. Yep, Passamaquoddy. Ha. Evan's brushwork is so venomous you can hear it even before he speaks. Sulfites. I remember that theme song. So that's Ghost of Mrs. Muir. And then my response to him. Oh, no worries. I haven't read quite a few of the books. Too little time and so many big biz distractions to escape. One of the reasons I love the romance of Vampires and Immortality colon. One might have time to read it all. I have read Wilde's books. I've read Wilde's book, though. Nice and short, and seemed to have a segment too focused on gemstones for a stretch. But oh yeah, Dark Shadows used the Dorian Gray bits more than once. Yes, I was so elated to give the TV show of the Ghost of Mrs. Muir a chance. Solves tons of problems, and the characters are a perfect fit, along with being in the state of Maine. Thanks for appreciating the summaries and, and preference for the happier outcome with with jocularity. Yay! The better it made me feel in real life, the more I devoted my life to it. I think the music is the official Dark Shadows music from the show. Can't reach the audio now, and the script didn't list it. Dale Carnegie did write other books. I stumbled on a copy of How to Stop Worrying... two nights ago. Haven't finished it either. I had to look up the Tennyson too. Wanted to give Wadsworth more to do with that, and pull in stuff from Clue. Expand on it. Another reason I loved this work is... I kept learning neat stuff by being curious if I should add something related. Evans messing up the Angelique portrait is from Dark Shadows and at a certain time for a certain price. Most is the same except for Wadsworth bonus singing. And by golly, you got the Passamaquoddy link up. I can't remember if anyone else did. Well, we've already been through all these reviews so people did. They got the Pete's Dragon bit, but not the actual native tribe from which the name comes from. And the Sulfites. Well done indeed. Aye, this episode ends in one of my main reasons for a relief series, saving Sam Evans, aka Pop. With removing the Angelique painting and replacing it with Captain Greg's portrait, we eliminate Sam's possession of the painting he altered, and bring in an upcoming helpful ghost. Happy face. So then he responds, and did you, and you did an excellent rendition of the sweet transvestite transsexual from Transylvania song. And I say, oh, thank you. Up for 24 hours, laughing and trying not to sigh just had to laugh myself silly before i could finish it and that is true Whew, that was so true okay so that should wrap up the retrospective in episode four 
Captain Greg gets bent in the Pit of Ultimate Dark Shadows for March or February 2024. If you want to reach me, my email address is xoiscythe at hotmail.com. I highly doubt anybody is even going to bother because they never do. And um, for my humble and loving portion of my audience, take care.